Ecclesiastes in chapter number 8. The Lord is bringing more rain. We can thank the Lord for that. And um, someone pointed out just before church, it was coming, you could see the rain coming down the lake. And of course up the lake is where the fires are, so um, I think they received that rain, so that would be good. Um, but it seems like also, as soon as I told Pastor Stastny earlier, I said, as soon as the smoke cleared, fall is here. You know, you didn't know it until the smoke went away, and now you're like, oh, it's fall. Uh, no, we'll not see uh, 30 degrees again until next year, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Some of you are glad for that. But... Uh, in this chapter, we, we do see some things about times and seasons. Uh, of course, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is the famous chapter on that, but it comes up again, as you'll see as we begin to read. I want to read verses 1 to 9, and I think that's about what we'll be able to handle uh, in our study tonight. So if you follow along, it says, Who is as the wise man, and who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God. Be not hasty to go out of his sight, stand not in an evil thing, for he, doth, he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, What doest thou? Whoso keepeth the commandment shall fill no evil thing, and a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Because to every purpose there is time and judgment, therefore the misery of man is great upon him. For he knoweth not what or excuse me, that which shall be, for who can tell him when it shall be? There is no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death, and there is no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. All this have I seen, and, and applied my heart unto every work that is done under the sun, there is a time wherein one man ruleth over another to his own hurt. And as I say, let's stop there. Now, as you read that, maybe you were like myself when I was reading this and thinking, okay, I have to preach from this. And I read those verses and I thought, hmm, there's some difficult things in there, or just some things that don't immediately uh, uh, lend themselves to understanding or... Uh, to a sermon, but I hope tonight we can dig some things out of here that might make sense and uh, help you to understand these, these verses and, and be a blessing. So let's pray to that end, if you would. Let's pray together. Um, Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We know that it's all for our profit and for your glory. And uh, Lord, we want to understand, we want to uh, meditate a little while tonight on what we can understand. And we desire that from that, Lord, you would feed our hearts and that you would help us to uh, grow as a result. 
And uh, as this no doubt does speak of wisdom, we, we want wisdom. Lord, we need wisdom. And we desire that you would help us to gain a little wisdom tonight. That you might, Lord, uh, of course it's for your glory because when we have your wisdom, we see your glory. We, ought, we live for your glory in a, in a better way. And, and so, please have your hand upon us. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the, the verse or the chapter begins with two questions. Who is as the wise man and who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? And so, in asking that question, Solomon here is, uh, in the Word of God, is, is talking about wisdom, uh, who is a wise man, and gives us some answers the answers come in a, in a little bit of a roundabout way, I think, in here. And it wouldn't be what you would... You know, if I asked you, who, who's a wise man? How would you describe a wise person? Not a wise guy, but a wise man. Um, you know, probably you wouldn't come up with what we will see in these verses. But, uh, but wisdom has a lot of things in many aspects. And, and uh, we need God's wisdom. I put down in my notes as I was thinking about this, did you know that you don't have to be particularly intelligent or highly educated to be wise? Aren't you glad for that? Uh, I am because uh, I'm neither one of those things. I'm thankful that you don't have to have a, a high IQ or uh, you know, a great education to be wise. And I know that because a lot of people who have uh, you know, better intellects than me or greater education than me, a lot of them don't use, you can see they're not operating in God's wisdom. We live in a society today that I think probably, I, I, without doubt, I don't know the stats, but I would imagine there's more college graduates today in the world than probably in any other generation. Uh, we all have you know, vast amounts of information at our fingertips. Even today, while we were, you know, fellowshipping and talking at home, I don't know how many times it happened, but I remember a couple of times where uh, somebody said something and we asked a question and then before, uh, before five minutes went by, somebody had looked at their phone and Googled it and, and we're talking about what they found online. That's, that's what we do today. Uh, because information is so readily available. And that's not a bad thing. Obviously, uh, I'm pro-education. I'm for, uh, you know, people learning and things like that. But that's not the same thing as the wisdom of God. The world has all of those things, and yet they are... Um, we, we know that our world today is is full of uh, people who are struggling with depression, with fears, with uh, anxieties, and all of these kind of things, and can't find answers, can't find uh, the meanings of life, and so forth. I think probably if you, you know, if I go on what I read, what I gather, but it seems to me that generations before that had much less information, much less in education, uh, seem to 
deal with life better. You know, better than we do today. And I've said it before. I, I remember Pastor Murphy saying it, so it wasn't original with me. He said, you can, you can get an A-plus in school and fail at life. So when it comes to God's wisdom, it really has to do with just having understanding for life. To be able to live joyfully. To be able to live and, and ful- have a fulfilled life. It takes the wisdom of God to do that. And we need that wisdom. So, the world, sadly, is ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the, of the truth. I also wrote down another question. And I was thinking about the difference between wisdom and not worldly knowledge. And I put down which one is more important for life and happiness. Well, I think I've already sort of answered that. But I want us to think about that a little bit deeper tonight. To do that, I want you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 1. Proverbs 4 verse 1. And let's see what what the Lord says here about wisdom. It begins in verse 1, Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and attain to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also, and said unto me, uh, let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. So here we see the uh, divinely inspired writer, Solomon, in this case, uh, saying, you know, hear this instruction. And this is the Word of God, of course. He's giving uh, good information, good wisdom, good doctrine, he says in verse 2. And he says, you need to pay attention to it. He's talking, you know, to his sons. His son and says, "Listen, my children, um, you know." And and I I got wisdom from my father. In our adult Sunday school class, we were going through the Ten Commandments, and the last commandment is about covetousness: "Thou shalt not covet." Right? And we were also talking about the the idea of contentment. And Rick mentioned the fact that contentment is learned. Remember, Paul said. Uh, in whatsoever state I'm in, I've learned to be content. And I, I was, we were talking in class, and I was thinking, and I said to them, I never thought about it until today that it's something we should teach children, is we should teach them contentment, and not to be covetous, not to be you know, always wanting everything that everybody has. And I thought we had a good discussion in Sunday school about it. But, you know, these are things about wisdom. And he says here to listen to this. Look, look, look at verse 5. He says, get wisdom. Get understanding. What are you supposed to get? You're supposed to get wisdom. Forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not. So get the wisdom. And don't leave it. Don't forsake it. And she shall preserve thee. Love her. Now the her there, of course, is talking about wisdom. And she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Um, I remember, my, I actually remember way back in my early Christian days, and 
Italy, um, I remember my Sunday school teacher emphasizing that verse. With all you're getting, get un- wisdom and understanding. And he made a point of that, and it stuck in my mind. And I thought, wow, it's important to get wisdom. And I didn't know how to do that at the time. You know, like, how do I get that? And of course, it comes from the Word of God. But it's important that we do. It's important that we teach it. It's important that we model it. He says, verse 8, Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She, being wisdom, shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory, shall she deliver to thee. So, you know, he's saying that when you, if you get this wisdom of God and you, you don't forsake it, you live by it, it's going to bless your life. That's what God's wisdom is. It's that wisdom for life that brings blessing. It doesn't mean that you can always answer every math question. It doesn't mean that, you know, you, ha- you know how to operate uh, your computer sometimes or uh, to do some, you know, some sort of fix some kind of complicated machinery. Uh, those things are good and you can learn skills and things like that. But that's not necessarily the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is about just simply being able to uh, live and see the blessing of God on your life. Because when we live by His wisdom, it does bless. Look at verse 13. He says, Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. So you see the importance of godly wisdom. Turn quickly, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 1. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, it says, As touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. So again, I'm just contrasting here godly wisdom with worldly knowledge. He says worldly knowledge, knowledge puffs up. Is that a good thing? To be puffed up? Do we get a, it, it, being puffed up has the idea of pride, doesn't it? Is, do we get ahead by pride, by being proud? No, this is part of God's wisdom tells us that actually humility brings blessing, not pride. Now the world doesn't understand that very well. The world thinks that, you know, pride is a good thing. We need to take pride. We should be self-willed, uh, self-reliant, self, you know, love yourself, um, promote yourself. All of Life's all about self. If you want to be, you know, get ahead in life, if you want to be happy, you just got to uh, promote yourself. But God's wisdom says no. God resists the proud and He exalts the humble. But knowledge puffs up. So, thinking about that, which one's more important? Well, we know wisdom is, God's wisdom. But what one do we often emphasize to our children? And I'm not saying, you know, boys and girls, don't get me wrong. When mom and dad say, you need to go to school and you need to do your homework and you you should think about college and all those things, that's a good thing. But sometimes I think we promote education and worldly uh, knowledge without 
really considering that we need to impart wisdom. Do you see what I'm saying? We need to intentionally teach and model and live by God's wisdom because that's what's going to bring blessing. So we can go back to um, Ecclesiastes 8. He says, Who is as the wise man? Solomon's looking for a wise man, one who can interpret a thing, or uh, I think probably the idea there is discerning, and just having wisdom and discernment for life. Who can be hit with pandemics, health issues, uh, financial setbacks, uh, being mistreated on the job, and you know all all kinds of things that life throws at you, and not be knocked off course, or you know not let those things take you out of the victory that God wants you to live in. And it takes wisdom to do that. Life is going to throw those things at you. They're, you know, all of those things that I named uh, come at us. Sometimes they come at us with great force. And it takes wisdom to not let it stumble you. I was reminded of a verse in Proverbs 24, verse 10. It says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. And I remind, I was thinking about it, and I don't, I, I want to say this in a loving way, but some have let COVID and all of the frustrations with COVID actually get them, like some of them have given up on church. Uh, some people have just quit church because of it. And when they do that, they show that their spiritual strength is, is small. And they, they're not really, they need wisdom to understand what is really important? What is most important in life? Now, I know I'm preaching to you who have been faithful through this time. And, and yes, it's been frustrating. And yes, there's been you know, up and down, back and forth, and lots of things. But, and we were hoping it would be behind us by now. Uh, I'm with you on all of those things. But, but I'm thankful that you didn't let it ruin you. You know, didn't let it derail you from being faithful to God. Because some have. Some have gotten away from the Lord. And that's just one example. Other things. I mean, I've known people to get out of church for uh, various reasons. And it's because they lose sight of. It's what Pastor Stastny showed us this morning in, in Peter, where he says, if you don't add these things, you're going to be blind and you won't be able to see. And, you know, they're not operating in the wisdom of God. So wisdom is strength. You know, they say knowledge is power. But really, the wisdom of God is strength in our life. It keeps us in those times of uh, when the storms come. So let's notice here in verse 1 the characteristic. And this is where, again, I don't think it's what you would probably think of first of all, but he says, A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. So there's, there's something that wisdom even affects your countenance. Isn't that what he's saying? It makes your face to shine and so on. Um, you know, there's a countenance. The Bible uses that word. I looked up a few verses, tried to type that word in my search engine. I spelled it wrong, but then I got it figured out. Um, of course, somebody mentioned this morning, probably Pastor Sassany, mentioned Cain, how Cain 
uh, killed his brother. He was very wroth with Abel, and his countenance fell, it says. Um, and then God says, you know, why is your countenance fallen? Your countenance is, you know, your, your facial expression, your, you know, what's visible. And I understand, with masks, it's very hard uh, to express your, your countenance. It's difficult. But, um, but we need to keep... Uh, you know, John R. Rice said this. He said that a long face is a poor signboard for Jesus. And it used to bother me a little bit because my face, uh, I guess I naturally have a, a frown or something sometimes. And uh, it's not that, you know, I used to, what used to bother me was I used to have people ask me, what's wrong? And I think, well, there's nothing wrong. I'm happy, you know, why are you asking this? Um, I haven't had that recently, so hopefully I've outgrown that. But somehow I had this, you know, serious look or something. But uh, in all of us, you know, I, I know there's this one guy that I, I see him. I've seen him for 15 years in our town. And he, he is the most, he's like a perpetual smile on his face. I don't even think he's a Christian man, but he just has this constant smile. Anyway, um, but you know, really, we should let the joy of the Lord. I appreciate, I, I appreciate, I was thinking about this as I was studying, and I thought, I really always appreciated this about Miss Tana. She always has a, a joy about her. And uh, she, she uh, you know, just laughs and has a great laugh and a, and a joyful countenance. And I really do appreciate that about her. Anyway, um, there's that song we sang many years ago in Sunday school. Joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart. From the castle of my heart. From the castle of... Remember that song? Anybody remember that? Joy is the flag flown high. You're going to make me sing it, aren't you? Um, anyway, it says, From the castle of my heart, when the king is in residence there. Let it fly in the sky, let the whole world know. The idea of that is, you know, when, when the queen is in Buckingham Palace, there's a flag that flies. I understand, I've never been there. but And that indicates that the queen is there. I guess when she goes away, they take the flag down. Which doesn't seem very... You know, I was thinking about it, and I thought, if somebody, you know, like had uh, nefarious plans for the queen, they probably shouldn't let everybody know that she's in the house. But anyway, the point of the song was that joy is that indicator that the king is in residence there. You understand? Like, you know, when, when, we, when we have a joyful countenance. And what does that have to do with God's wisdom? Well... Uh, the verse tells us that a man, uh, a man's wisdom makes his face to shine. So if we walk in the wisdom of God, the blessing of God that we saw in Proverbs will be there and it, and it does affect our life. Then we see verse number 2. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment and that uh, in regard of the oath of God. And again, that's a phrase I, I don't know if I am satisfied if I understand all how that goes together. I, the, you know, keep the counsel, or keep, I counsel you to keep the king's commandment. That's, that's easy to understand. But as far as it's in regard to the oath of God, I'm a little fuzzy on that. But, so if you can help me on if you understand it better than I do. But um, I do know that God's 
commandment is that we keep the king's commandments, right? Wisdom teaches us to be submissive. Wisdom teaches us not to be proud, puffed up, knowledge puffs up, but wisdom tells us not what the world thinks, but humility is the way to get ahead. As backward as that might sound to the world, and even to us sometimes. And, you know, sometimes we we don't like to be submissive. It's not in our nature to do that. That's why I know sometimes when we talk about obeying authorities and so on, you think, man, they harp on this all the time. And the Bible does because for two reasons. One is because it's important, and two, because it's not in our nature to do that. And we need to keep hearing it. But he says, you know, he counsels you to keep the king's commandments. Uh, verse 3, not, Be not hasty to go out of his sight. Stand not in the evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever he pleaseth. The king has power. Uh, verse 4 tells us, The word of a king, there is power. So you've got to stay on the right side of the king. I called this message, I mentioned it this morning, Wise as Serpents and Harmless as Doves. Because this is kind of what I was, when I try to put all these thoughts together, uh, that seemed to fit to me, and I'll, I'll explain that a little bit later. But Second Peter chapter 2, verse 10 says, But chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are, uh, are they, self-willed, uh, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. So he talks about people who don't have wisdom, uh, ungodly people, false teachers. He said they despise government and they speak evil of dignities. We need to have the wisdom of God to have submission, a submissive heart to authority, to um, to our, the government and you know all the authorities, parents, uh, that God puts in our life, employers, and so on. Because that does bring blessing. It does. When we live in uh, peace with and in harmony with our fellow man and stuff like that, not always fighting, not rebellious. You know, rebellion is, is the sin of witchcraft. And I know that's, that's directly talking about rebellion against God. We don't want to do that. But we also need to live in uh, submission. Let me give you just, I think, a helpful example in Acts chapter 28. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll try to be a little shorter. Go to Acts 24 and just hang out there for a minute. In Acts chapter uh, 24, in chapter 26, this whole section of Acts is where Paul has gone to Jerusalem with his offering for the saints in Jerusalem. And you know what happened when he got there? Uh, the Jews got stirred up and they, they really tried to kill Paul. And uh, a Roman centurion came and basically, in a way, rescued Paul. He, he incarcerated Paul, but he kept the Jews from... They were about ready to stone him. And then he... He ended up, uh, it's a long story, but uh, I think you know it well enough, so I won't have to give you all the details. He ends up in Caesarea Philippi, 
and he's kind of in prison there, and there was a guy named Felix, another guy named Festus. And so Paul's uh, coming before these, these people. And in chapter 26, I'll read this, and then we'll, we'll look at your verse there in 24. But listen, listen what we see this interchange about Paul. Paul's now before Felix and Agrippa, um, and he's, or excuse me, Festus and Agrippa, and he's given his own uh, testimony, and he says, and, and as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom I also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this, uh, this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. I always loved that chapter. And I, I know there's a lot of uh, verses that I kind of, you've got to read the whole thing to really get it, but... But you see there Paul's heart, can't you, understand, can't you kind of hear his heart as he talks to these, these rulers, Festus and Agrippa? And even when Festus calls him, I wonder if this is like picking up a signal. I always wonder why it does that, but anyway. I wonder, you know, when Festus calls him mad, what does that mean? He's calling him crazy. You're insane, Paul. You're, you know, this, all this stuff, is you've gone off your rocker. Paul doesn't come back with some kind of, you know, snarky saying. He says, I'm not mad, most noble Festus. You see the respect that he shows him? And when he talks to Agrippa, he talks with him with, um, you know, you can see, you can hear the love in his voice when he talks to him. He said, uh, Agrippa, do you believe? I know you believe. And Agrippa said, almost, Paul. I listen to you, I'm, I'm almost ready just to be a Christian. And Paul said, oh, uh, I would to God you, you were. And you can just hear that in his voice. The whole time he's very respectful. Now in chapter 24, look at verse 22. It says, When Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, When Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I know, I will know the uttermost of your matter. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty, and that he should forbid uh, none of his acquaintance to minister or come to him. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, uh, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time, when I have a convenient season I will call for thee. He hoped also that money should have been given him uh, of Paul, 
that he might loose him, where, uh, wherefore he sent for him the oft, oftener, and communed with him. But after two years, Porcius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. Now there's a whole lot in there, but I just want to point out the fact that here's Paul, he's, he's in this place for, he leaves him here for two years, you know, after two years, and he leaves him still for longer. So I don't know how long Paul's imprisonment here was. But all along, you know, you see how it tells you, even in what we read here, that uh, he kind of gave Paul some liberty. Because all along, I think it was very clear that Paul had done nothing really worthy of any kind of punishment. And Paul's talking to them and you know he's told them his defense and you know you hear them say a couple times he really uh, matter of fact Agrippa says he said you know Paul if he hadn't appealed to Caesar we should just set him free. He had done nothing wrong. And yet Felix was kind of keeping him around because he hoped to get some money off of him. Didn't it say that? He was hoping kind of that Paul would bribe him. And so he called for him even more often. And then he was willing to do the Jews a favor, so he left him in prison. So what, what do you see there? You see that you know, these guys that are uh, over Paul, you know, they're, they're, they're the authorities over Paul at this point. They have Paul captive. They really were not bringing justice. Paul should have been set at liberty. But for political reasons... They left him in jail. And for even some extortion, they were hoping maybe he could profit them. So really, Paul could have been quite indignant. Because these guys that were there to mete out justice weren't doing it. And Paul really never got justice from them. So I just want you to see that, that on one hand, uh, you know, if Paul was just concerned about my case, hey, look, I'm in jail and I shouldn't be here and you should let me out and, you know, I need to plead my case and I need to, uh, you know, get better lawyers and, and, you know, you guys really should do your job and, and on and on. He could be that way. But you don't see that heart in Paul. And this is the wisdom, I think, if I can convey to you you know, wisdom is just, it's more of the heart than it is the head. It's really the attitude and the, and the faith and the love and the, it's the fruit of the Spirit we talk about on Sunday morning. That's what God's wisdom is. It's the wisdom to say, you know, I might not be being treated like I should, and not that Paul couldn't stand up, not that he never did. Sometimes he, you know, he did stand up for himself. And he, he did say, hey, I'm innocent. Here's, my, if you're, here's what I'm guilty of. I'm guilty of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm, believe, I'm guilty of believing in the resurrection of Christ. And Paul basically says, if, if that's against the law, well, I'm guilty. But that's all I'm guilty of. He said, I've lived a, a life to be void of con- you know, my conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. So Paul spoke the truth, but I just want you to see the attitude. The attitude that we see 
in this situation. Even in chapter 28, when he gets to Rome, in verse 17, he calls all the Jews together and he says to them, chapter 28, verse 17, And it came to pass that after three days Paul called the chief of the Jews together, and when when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who when they had examined me would have let me go because there was no cause of death in me, But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had aught to accuse my nation of, for uh, for this cause, therefore, I have called for you to see you and to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. So he calls them together and he said, Look, I'm not even here to complain about my country. I'm not here to bring accusations against the Jews. I'm just here to tell you. Uh, my case and to give you the gospel. So this was the heart of Paul and I see in him the wisdom of God. Because when we go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, in this looking for someone who's a wise man, he says he is not puffed up, he's wise, he is obedient. He's not rebellious. But he has a, a heart of submission and love. Verse 3 it says, Don't go out hasty. Don't storm out of you know, the king's presence. Um, because he does whatever he pleases. And the word of the king has power. So this is where I say we need to be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. And that... That scripture is actually in the context in Matthew chapter 10. I think I have it printed here. He says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. So that's the context. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So we've got to act in wisdom and um, humility and like a dove and a, a dove and a wolf. That's a, how do you put those two together? How can I be like a wolf and like a dove? Well, um, or not a wolf, sorry, a serpent, that's what it is. A serpent and a dove. He sent them forth among wolves. But uh, to be wise as serpents. How wise is a serpent? Well, serpents usually in the Bible aren't, uh, you know, they're not usually held up as a good example. But they are subtle and they are, uh, you know, they, they show some cunning. So he says to be wise, but also be harmless. Now this doesn't mean that we go along and never push back. It doesn't mean that Christians, you know, have no influence. um, That we never stand up for what's right. That's not what we're saying. I was reading something recently um, from an organization. I started listening to this podcast, and it's been really good. It's called Breakpoint. Breakpoint. it actually is from the Colson Center, which uh, not an organization that I really knew much about or really promote, but it, but the podcast has been helpful. And uh, I'll read you just something I read the other day from them. It said, an, another, another reason, this is kind of a part of the article, another reason that our normal 
is so different from much of history is the work of Christians who saw their lives as a means by which God could accomplish restoration. And living out a Christian worldview within their own time and place, they laid foundations for this current world, which is better in so many ways. And he's talking about, you know, um, lot, you know, we, we hear all the time in our society of the bad things of the world, racism, injustice, you know, all these things. And a lot of people have pointed out, look, <laughs> we have it way better today than the generations before us. And the reason we do is much because of the influence of Christianity in the Western world. He mentions a man named Dr. Benjamin Rush. He says is a prime example of someone who had this sense of vocation. He gives us a little background. I'm going to skip ahead. He says that at age 24, he opened a medical practice in Philadelphia. Uh, he was also a chemistry professor, writing the first chemistry textbook published in America. He also wrote a treatise on medical education. A significant area of study for Rush was the treatment of mental illness. He argued that people with mental illness should be treated as, should not be treated as criminals, but be brought into normal hospital settings. He also believed that giving them productive work could aid in their recovery. These ideas proved to be successful strategies in treat, uh, treating many of his patients. Rush was also active in social reform. He was a founding member of what was known as the Philadelphia Society for Alleviating the Misery of Public Prisons. I love how they named things back then. We like to shorten little acronyms, and they just like made names this long and explained exactly what they were doing. But anyway, it's now called the Pennsylvania Prison Society. And it's an ardent, he said he was also an ardent abolitionist, joining abolitionist societies and writing pamphlets against the institution of slavery. By the way, he lived in the 1700s. He specifically argued on scientific grounds that blacks were in no way inferior to whites. All of the activities on Russia's very impressive resume were informed by his faith. His stand on mental health, prisons, and slavery came from his understanding that each person is made in the image of God and is therefore worthy of dignity and respect. His observation on the importance of work for human well-being reflected ideas contained with the biblical worldview. His stand on abolition had been, uh, had been the historical position of the church and in his day was being advanced by evangelicals among others. His concern for the well-being of the black population led him to act as an advisor to Richard Allen and uh, the founding of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. And it goes on. But the point of that is, is to say this. I'm saying that Christians should have wisdom, be, wise, you know, be submissive, be like doves. But we also can be like salt in the world. It doesn't mean that we never stand up for what's right. We need to stand up for what's right. It doesn't mean that we can't you know, get behind causes that even though uh, the, the political kind of climate today might be pushing in the other direction, Christians need to push back and say, look, um, you know, when, when, when slavery was a, uh, you know, a thing that the world was doing, the Christians said, no, this is wrong. Christians today need to stand up for the rights of the unborn, uh, you know, for 
uh, and against racism and against many things that the world is doing and, and we need to have that influence. So we can do that in a wise way. You see, Paul, he was testifying of truth, but he, he, was, he was wise as a serpent as he did it. And so I just want you to understand the balance of that and the wisdom that we need to use. Because we live in a world where, again, uh, I don't have to remind you that our world is really... In a deep, it's, there, it's in deep trouble. Our society is, I'm very concerned about. You know, when we live in a world where children don't even know whether they're a boy or a girl, I mean, how, what does that say? That says, wow, how confused, how lacking in wisdom this world is. And we need to be wise to not only live uh, and be joyful in our own life, but to be able to affect the world around us. Well, let's see if we can just finish up here. Back to our our text. Um, I'll point out one more thing. He says in verse 5, toward the end, um, it says, A wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment, because to every purpose there is a time and judgment. Therefore, the misery of man is great upon him. Because there is time and judgment. And sometimes that judgment is painful. But anyway, it says, For he knoweth not that which shall be, for who can tell him what, when it shall be. But God gives us wisdom about even time and judgments. And sometimes we don't always know, you know exactly what time it is, what God is doing in this time. We look at the times that we're in right now, and I said this a few Thursday nights ago, um, that I, it's, I really believe we're in the last times. It's, it really looks that way to me. You know, God, the Lord said, remember Jesus said, you look at the sky and you, you, know, you say it's red and lowering and you say, um, you know, tomorrow it's going to be fair. We say it this way, red sky at night, sailor's delight. But they knew that all the way back in Jesus' day. And he said, but you can discern the sky, but you can't even discern the times and the seasons. You know, God's wisdom gives us some discernment about the times and the seasons we're in. And everything, to everything there is a time. And some of that wisdom is just to say, you know, right now it might be this way or that way. You know, this party's in the White House. This uh, agenda's being pushed here. But God's still on time. And do you remember Esther? She was raised up for such a time as this. Mm-hmm. I think about the Lord, Jesus, and He always knew the timing. He always knew that when it was... You know, his, he said it often to his disciples. My time has not yet come. And he would say, you know, we got to go to this town. Well, why are we going there? Just, we got to go. Because God has something there. He knew where to go. He knew what to do every day. I, I, there's a lot of examples I could give, but let, let me just show you one. Go to Luke. We'll, we'll close here. Luke chapter 13. Because our time is up. i got to know what time it is as well. 
I was, I'll give you this one only because I was reading it this week. I read this week, um, Luke chapter 13. And it says, The same day there came certain of the Pharisees saying to Jesus, Get thee out and depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. Now the Lord says something here that might shock you. He says, Go tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils, I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day shall I, I shall be perfected. So he calls him, you know, he kind of gives him a go tell that fox. I think that's kind of an interesting statement. <laughs> it doesn't sound, you know, like, whoa. But but who are we talking about here? This is the Lord. The Lord doesn't have to submit to Herod. Herod has to submit to God. Anyway, he says, uh, I do cures today and tomorrow and the third day. I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. I wrote one time in the margin of my Bible, Jesus never skipped a day or took a day off from the will of the Father. It didn't matter what Herod threatened or what pressures were there. He just kept right on track. He said, today and tomorrow I got something to do. And I'm going to do it. And he never got sidetracked. Even when they wanted to come and make him the king and put a crown on him, he just said, no, I'm, I got another agenda. I got another thing to do. This is God's timing. This is God's will for me today. And it takes God's wisdom to do that. To look at the times and go, I'm not sure everything God's doing, but I know... God's on time and He's moving everything into His will. And so I don't have to get flustered. I don't have to get fearful. I'm just going to stay on track with what I know the Lord wants me to do. And I'm going to walk in His wisdom. And God's time will continue to roll. And when time is up, then He'll take us home. So, wisdom tells me, just walk with God and try to be a man for the time and do His will every day. Well, our time is up. I hope in there there was something that might be a help and a blessing. That, that scripture was challenging for me to try to put into a sermon. But I hope that can be a help to you. Let's pray.